Thank you, Luke. Most of you know the name William Shakespeare. Most of you probably had to read one or more of his works when you were in school. Romeo and Juliet, Macbeth, one of those. There's something about William Shakespeare that you may not have known, and that is when his daughter Judith got married, she signed her marriage license with an X. Do you know why? Because she was illiterate. She couldn't read or write. How could one of the greatest writers to ever pick up a pen raise a daughter that couldn't read or write? It's unimaginable to think that one of the greatest writers in English literature would have a daughter who was illiterate. But it's probably just as unimaginable to think that Christian parents could raise a child or children who are biblically illiterate. And yet here's what we read in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. How in the world does that happen? How long had it been since the Israelites had been rescued from captivity? About 60 years or so? Less than 100 years and they already had forgotten about the 10 plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and the manna and the quail from heaven. How does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. Because they stopped reciting the story. They stopped passing it down. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and following reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I think it's safe to say that the reason why the next generation didn't know about the ten plagues, about the parting of the Red Sea, about the man and the quail, about Moses rescuing them, delivering them from captivity, is because the story was not handed down. It wasn't written on their hearts. It wasn't, it wasn't posted in their homes the story wasn't recited. It wasn't like back then you could give them a book and say, here, read this, and you'll know all about our history. The story was transmitted orally. And my guess is, I think it's a very safe assumption to say, the story wasn't told. There was no passion for the story. Of course, it had to be written on their hearts first, right? Because that's where it all starts. It starts in the home with the parents. And if it's not written on their hearts, they're not going to be as passionate about it. And therefore, they're not going to pass it down. Look at verse 12. It says, Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. The message is clear. Do not forget. Watch yourself that you do not forget. They did. They did forget. And the people suffered for it. One of the things that's vital to the Israelites' existence was that they didn't, they didn't adhere to, or at least they didn't remember the first two commandments. 
That obviously didn't get passed down with the emphasis that it should. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and who keep my commandments." This is reiterated in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and forgetting about what the Lord had done for the people, putting other gods before God and worshiping idols became a standard for the Israelites. It's something that they would fight for generations to come and that would plague them throughout history. And I think all of it can be traced back, at least in part, to a failure to train children. Look with me at Psalm 127. In Psalm 127, we'll just read all of it. It's not that long. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gates. Let me ask you something. Why are you a parent? Those of you who are parents, why are you a parent? Is it because you wanted to complete your family? You were married and this, this made your family complete? Is it because you wanted something adorable to love and to care for? Those may be good reasons. But understand that children are fruit of the womb. They are a blessing. And I, I know we know that. We say that all the time, right? My kids are such a blessing. But that means that our children are not our achievement, but a blessing. And again, I know we know that, but there, there are some gifts, there are some blessings that we receive that we don't really want. Some gifts that we don't care much for. Maybe we sell them the next time we have a yard sale. Maybe we re-gift it, give it to somebody else. But not so with this gift. Not the gift that comes from God. This blessing from Him is a gift that is never meaningless. Any gift that comes from Him is never meaningless. And we know that get this gift of children is a tremendous blessing that comes with tremendous responsibility. But God didn't give you children just so you could have something to love. He gave you this blessing so that you could raise them and return them to their rightful owner because your children don't belong to you. They belong to God. And if our children came in a package or in a box on the outside of it, it would say, handle with care. It's important that we understand what this blessing is and how we are to take care of it. And and with our children comes an instruction manual. You realize that, don't you? And with this instruction manual, we have steps to follow. And the first one is this. The first step is stance. Go back to Joshua. Remember what the fearless leader said to the people in Joshua chapter 24. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight... 
to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua tells the people that every one of them are confronted with a choice. And we all have the same choice as well. They were all confronted with a choice whether to serve the little g-gods or the big g-god. And that is a decision that only they could make. Even though Joshua was this fearless and brave and confident leader, he knew something that we all have to understand is you can't force worship. You can't make anyone worship. People have to choose that for themselves. And it's a choice that you continually make. Don't you find it interesting that Joshua gives them some choices? I've never given a sermon and in the invitation made it multiple choice. I've never done that, but that seems to be what Joshua does. Choose one, two, or three. Which door are you going to open? But you've got to choose. You've got to choose. And the choice you make will affect everything else in your life. Because what you worship is what you become. Our children need to know where we stand. And they need to know where we stand from day one. And it's never up for debate. Church attendance, for instance, is a decision made one time. One time. So we're not asking on Saturday night, are we going to church Sunday morning? I don't know, we'll see. No, we made that decision one time. And we don't ever ask it again. We made the decision where we were going to stand. We chose what door we were going to open one time. Secondly, you got stance. Step two is draw. Draw some impenetrable boundaries. Draw some lines in the sand that say, we are not going to go beyond this point no matter what. We are not stepping across this line. Tell your family that we are not going to trespass on this ground because when we trespass on this ground, it causes us to trespass. So, we're going to use some filters. And we're not going to allow the devil to have an inroad into our house. It's too easy for him to get in anyway. He comes in through the airwaves, through the internet, through Wi-Fi, you know, through the the cable TV. It's easy for him to come in if you don't have filters, if you don't have boundaries. And many parents take steps to block his entrance, to, to, to block his supply chain, right? But unfortunately, some don't set any boundaries. They just let him walk in and have his way with their family. No filtering, no screening process, no parental locks. We allow him to just have free reign and let him do his work. Parents have to be aggressive and immovable when it comes to what we allow into our homes. And I can guarantee you that your kids will not always approve. I guarantee that. But they will definitely benefit. Step three is find your anchor point. This is important because life will always compete with what's important. Always. It always will. Life will force you to make that decision whether you go to church on Sunday or go play that ball game. Life will always force you to choose whether you will go to that, that, that school event on Wednesday night or come to Bible class. It always will. You will never get around it. But, folks, the disclaimer is this. I'm not a perfect parent. 
Please don't take this lesson as Chris is trying to tell you how you should parent because I haven't gotten it all right. In fact, there are many nights that I've laid down thinking, have I done anything right? But I'm about to be an empty nester. All my kids are about to be gone. And I can tell you this. The sports and stuff and all that was great. But now, having a perspective where I can look back and it's almost over, not nearly as important as I thought it would. Not nearly as important as I thought it would. But we all have these aspirations, and I did too, you know, my son playing college sports and all that kind of stuff, and at the end of the day, you're thinking, so what even if he does? If I lose this, if I lose this right here, I've lost everything, right? Find your anchor point, because the world is always going to pull you away if you let it. It's always going to cause you to drift. And let me tell you this, you probably will drift. And you've probably already drifted as parents. It happens. But the important thing is to remember your anchor point. So like that dog that gets excited and he goes after that car and he chases it down, all of a sudden his chain yanks him back because he's gone too far. That's the way we are. Our anchor is tied to God and his will. And so when we start drifting, we get yanked back in because we can only go so far we know where our center point is. We know where our priorities lie. So we don't drift too far. Step four is aim. Is there a goal in raising children? Well, yes, there should be for all of us. And it should be the same goal. It's not just to make them functional adults, although that's certainly important. It's not just so that they get through school so that they can get a good job, although that's important as well. The primary goal of parenting is raising a soldier. That's it. And that should be the aim of every single one of us, to raise a soldier. This is spiritual warfare, in case you hadn't figured it out. This is a spiritual battle that we are engaged in. And too many folks are losing the battle because they don't even know they're supposed to fight. Or they gave up fighting a long time ago. We are raising soldiers. Once they leave home, and even before... They are going to be confronted with all sorts of evil. Have you paid attention to the news lately? Our world has no clue about morality or anything of the such. They're even trying to define morality now, and it's ludicrous, right? We cannot subject our kids to the world without giving them a proper foundation and expect them to turn out okay. We can't turn them loose and say, well, they should be fine if we've given them nothing if we've equipped them in no way to fight. We are raising soldiers. Our duty is not to change the world. Our duty is to get our kids to a point where they understand that the world will always be the world, and we are going to try to shine light in darkness and hopefully be able to affect souls along the way. This is warfare. And we do this through disciplining them as we train them about consequences to bad behavior. We do that through discipline as we, we show them that there is accountability because there's accountability in a spiritual sense, big time. And so we show them that in little ways while we're raising them that there's accountability. We need to show them the difficult verses concerning judgment and wrath, not to scare them into submission, but to show them that there are eternal consequences for bad choices. God's going to hold them accountable. Why don't we? 
To be an effective soldier in the fight, we've got to aim them in the proper direction. And let them understand the world is always going to be the world. It's always going to be there. Be a soldier by standing up for Christ. The goal is not just to help them get to heaven. That's important. But within that goal is the aim of preparing them for battle so that they end up being victorious. And step five is release. At some point, we have to let them go. may not be happy about that. In fact, we may be quite sad about that. They may be very happy about that. But at some point, we've got to let them go. We have to release them. And this is tough, but it's necessary. And hopefully, we get to enjoy the fruits of our labor as we sit back and we watch them succeed and build on the foundation that we laid for them. But an important part of release is this, and that is letting them know that whatever happens in life, Whatever turn or twist life takes, they always have a home to come back to. That door is always open. Even if they become a prodigal and they fall away, home is where they find godliness. It's where they find parents who embrace them and say, we'll help you get back to where you need to be because we love you and we want what's best for you. I want our home to always be a place that our kids feel like they can come back to. So that's the instruction manual. That, in a nutshell, is God's program on raising kids. That's the why. And if you've noticed, it's not an exhaustive step-by-step formula, but the steps that are involved are also, coincidentally, the steps that are used in shooting an arrow. Do you notice that? So why would we use a formula that pertains to shooting an arrow to talk about how we should raise our kids? Well, look at Psalm 127. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. What do you do with an arrow? You shoot it, right? If our kids are arrows, what do we do with them? We shoot them, right? We don't actually shoot them, but we shoot them in a direction, don't we? We stand facing the target. We draw the bow back. We aim it at the target. What is the target? Well, it's heaven, right? We release them. First, we find that anchor point, that anchor point being God and His Word. We we find that anchor point, then we release them. We shoot them toward the target. And you know, you've got to hit the bullseye here because you don't get points for getting close. And you release them towards the target, and and you hope that they hit that, that bullseye. Here's an essential key to the parent's success that we cannot afford to overlook. Notice what Psalm 127 states. It says, like arrows in the hand of what? A warrior. If you're not going to be a warrior, your kids aren't going to be a soldier. It starts with you as parents. We have to be mighty warriors. They're taking their cue from us. They're looking to us to see how to fight, what to stand for, how to shoot that arrow. They're looking at us first and foremost. If we're not going to fight, how do we expect them to fight? You cannot expect more from your children than what you are currently doing. When it comes to being a mother or a father, you're a warrior first and foremost, and you think about the ramifications of that. 
our little warriors see it in us first. They look to us to see how to handle the fight for their lives. You know, there are a great many things that I wanted my children to understand, that I still want them to understand about life and about being a child of God and about going into the world and making a difference. And if I could narrow it all down, there are three things that I want my kids to understand and that hopefully you'll take these and, and maybe you want your children to understand these as well. First, I want my children to aspire for a better place in the world. Don't you? I want my children to uh, aspire for a better place in the world. I don't want them to settle for the cheap imitation that this world has to offer because it's not good enough. It's just not. Be in the world, but not of the world. Find joy in this life. Find fulfillment in following in the footsteps of Jesus. So that's one. I want my children to aspire for a better place in this world. Secondly, I want my children to make this world a better place. I want to raise them to be salt of the earth, Christians to be lights in the world, to glorify God in everything that they do. I want them to, to not become jaded by this world. You know, it's kind of a, a disturbing trend that as people get older, they get more gristled. And some people that you talk to that are older, all they do is complain about everything in the world. I don't want my kids to be that way. The world's always going to be the world. We can complain about it all we want. And we can certainly find reason to complain about a lot of things in this world. Be more passionate about making a difference in this world. I want them to strive to make the world a better place by proclaiming the gospel and living out the gospel message so that their time on earth was well spent. And finally, I want my children to know that there's a better place than this world. I want them to know there's something better. I want them to store up treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I want them to invest everything in the next life, not in this life. I want them to invest everything in their future, a heavenly home. And I want them to look forward to that. I want them to have two feet on the ground, but two eyes looking toward heaven. Listen to this. Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Got a lot, of, a lot of babies in this congregation. I love, I love babies. I love to see our children. I love to see them running around here playing. And As parents, I would say this. Every time you look at that child of yours, every time you hold that baby in your arms, you understand that they're a blessing. We all know that. But also understand that God's fingerprints are all over that child. All over them. For that child was skillfully and wonderfully made. Before you even thought about children, God thought about that child. And so at the end of the day, when all is said and done, you're going to return that child to its rightful owner. You should be raising your child as God's child. God has blessed you with this child and the, the best 
the best thing you could ever do for that child is return him to his rightful owner. Give him back. Give her back. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for blessing us in so many ways. And we thank you so much for our children. We thank you for the ability to be parents. We thank you so much for the opportunity to raise them with your foresight and under your care. We pray that we will make raising them for the Lord our number one priority. And that when we drift, we'll always come back to the anchor point that we won't allow the world to get the best of us, but that we'll raise them for you. God, it seems appropriate to pray at this time about our nation and about our culture. And we repent, God, and we are so sorry for the decisions of some in our government that have decided that it's okay to murder children even past 24 weeks. It's so disheartening that we believe that the murder of children is okay, and in fact, we even call it moral. God, please. Please help us as we navigate these waters and strive to preach truth to a world that has no clue what it's about. And may we put an end to this. In some way, somehow, we put an end to the senseless killing of those who can't speak for themselves. Help us, God, as we seek other measures like adoption. May we find homes for these children. May we find parents that are willing. And may we always seek to do your will, God, as we as we strive to be more like Jesus in this world that is so dark and gloomy at times. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. If there is a need that we can help you with tonight, if you uh, need the prayers, support of this church family, if you're ready to study the Bible with someone, if you're ready to do like Max and put on Christ in baptism this morning, uh, certainly uh, we want to help you with that. Whatever your need is, Luke will sing a song. Feel free to come forward as we stand and as we sing.